Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, January 13th, 2023. It's been 3,243 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 324 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the ongoing strife and power struggle between rival factions in the Kremlin and the Russian Ministry of Defense will not only continue, but likely escalate. Second, we maintain that the ongoing information warfare between private military company or PMC Wagner Group and the Russian Ministry of Defense is a byproduct of the strife within the Kremlin. Third, We maintain there is an elevated risk of punitive missile and drone attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure. Fourth, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Fifth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants, as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Sixth, we maintain that Russian forces led by PMC Wagner Group have taken the initiative on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis, but remain largely defensive throughout the rest of Ukraine. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations, despite the slow success on the Solidar axis. Eighth, We maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is only a remote possibility. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. On the Svatova axis, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that the VKS conducted airstrikes on Novoselivsky, confirming that Ukraine maintains control of the village and the P-7 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. Russian forces attempted another advance on Stelmachivka, which was unsuccessful. On the Kremina axis, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ukrainian positions in Ploshanka and Chervonopopivka were shelled. There were no reports of significant fighting in either settlement,
providing insight that Ukrainian forces are gaining tighter control of both towns. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces were able to defend their positions in Kremina for the first time, indicating that the southwestern edge of the settlement has been reached. Serhii Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Ukrainian forces were moving forward, quote, in the direction of Kremina. We adjusted the war map to show the line of conflict reaching the southwestern edge of the city. There were no reports of fighting for control of Dibrova or Kuzmine, with the GSAFU reporting that Ukrainian positions were shelled in both villages. Haidai also reported that Ukrainian forces had gone on the offensive in Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, and were able to, quote, improve their positions. Assessment here. It is noteworthy that mercenaries with war gonzo have left the Svatva and Kremina axes and have not provided a meaningful update from the Russian Bars 13 or Bars 16 units since December. The lack of claims of success by the Luhansk People's Republic is an additional indication that Ukrainian forces are increasing pressure on Kremina. The breakthrough out of the forested region means that pathways have been cleared through Russian minefields, which has slowed Ukrainian progress. In northeast Donetsk, there were no reports of significant fighting on the Siversk axis from along the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border to Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk. In our assessment, the lack of fighting on this axis indicates that the Russian MOD and PMC Wagner have gone all in to capture Solidar and form the northern part of the Bakhmut encirclement. PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance into Rozdolivka from Yakovlivka without success. Russian forces and PMC Wagner continued to press on the western edges of Solidar. We maintain the assessment that the western regions north of the salt mines and west of the sports complex are no-man's land. The next line of Ukrainian defenses is at Sil, which is technically part of Solidar, Blahodatne, Krasnohora, and Paraskovivka. Multiple sources reported intense fighting near Sil, Krasnohora, and Paraskovivka. Russian sources claim Solidar is under Russian control, while also stating that fighting is continuing on the western edges of the settlement. Mercenaries with Rybar made their cleansing operations are continuing type statement, historically indicating that fighting is in fact continuing. PMC Wagner-controlled Russian state media channels released several videos showing small detachments of mercenaries moving uncontested in the west-central part of the city. Yesterday, a United States Department of Defense spokesperson told reporters that the Pentagon cannot, quote, corroborate Solidar is captured, end quote. Some assessment here. We believe that Ukrainian forces have mostly withdrawn from Solidar, with fighting continuing on the western outskirts making the claim that Ukraine is still in the city, while technically accurate, kind of a pedantic exercise. PMC Wagner is pushing to capture Paraskovievka to take physical control of the M3 and T513 highway interchange, which is a critical G-lock for Ukraine, and would enable access to Bakhmut from the north. We anticipate intense fighting along the Sil-Paraskovievka line, where Ukrainian forces have built extensive defenses and have a terrain advantage. Weather is working against Ukraine, though, with the Bakhmutske River currently not much of a natural barrier. 
we want to remind our listeners that the situation is very dynamic. For example, at the time of recording, there are unconfirmed reports of a significant Ukrainian counteroffensive in Solodar, which has recaptured the railroad station complex, the residential areas to the north, and part of the salt mine complex. We cannot confirm this report. On the Bakhmut axis, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces defended their positions in Pithorodne, countering the Russian MOD claim from January 11th that the settlement was captured. Using terrain analysis, we believe Russian forces can advance on Paroskovievka without controlling Pithorodne. Fighting continued northeast and east of Bakhmut, with a Ukrainian source claiming that PMC Wagner had again reached an area of dachas west of the forest plantation. Igor Kimakovsky, advisor to the acting head of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Denis Pushilin, claimed that Bakhmut was in a technical encirclement. PMC Wagner's social media channels dismissed the claim, stating, quote, The information and statements about the capture of Bakhmut into the operational encirclement by Russian forces do not correspond to reality, end quote. In our assessment, PMC Wagner has taken control of Opitne, despite a claim from Russian source Rybar that the, quote, Western outskirts are being cleared, end quote. We do not support Russian claims that forces have advanced into the southern part of Bakhmut itself. South of Bakhmut, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued intense fighting near Klishivka. The GSAFU reported continued fighting in Mayorsk and repeated their claim that Ukrainian forces remain in the Minsk II border town. In southwest Donetsk on the Avdiivka axis, Elements of the First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, continued attempts to advance into Vodyana, Pervomaiske, and the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske without success. The frequency, intensity, and size of ground attacks have decreased significantly despite the improved ground conditions. Both belligerents are also firing significantly less artillery. On the Marinka axis, DNR separatists attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka without success, while positional fighting continued in Marinka. Mercenaries with Wargonzo claimed that DNR separatists were making, quote, slow progress, but there is nothing in the information space to support any territorial changes. Assessment here. It's beginning to appear that the November and December assaults on the Avdiivka and Marinka axes have reached a culmination point. Now, we don't believe this means that renewed attacks won't continue, but the slowdown in fighting has lasted almost two weeks. The latest attempt to encircle Avdiivka ended with only Opitne to the north of the Donetsk International Airport captured and some beet fields, which was extremely costly for the 1st Army Corps. On top of that, the DNR likely lost territory around Novobakhmutska during their offensive. There has been little aggregate change in the line of conflict since August 2022. In Russian-occupied Mariupol, there has been no diesel fuel for three days, resulting in the mobile boilers that were provided to heat the Kalmyuska district failing. Heating and steam pipes have frozen and burst, making heating for some apartments, businesses, and homes unlikely for the rest of the winter season. Additionally, Temporary water mains that Russian civil engineers put on the surface of city streets over the summer and fall have frozen and burst. In Russian-occupied Donetsk, 
the Hercules Moloko Truck Service Center was shelled. A graphic video that some may find disturbing showed the aftermath, with the building suffering light to moderate damage and one person killed. Residents in Donetsk were complaining about skyrocketing food costs, where a liter of bottled water now costs 73 rubles, more than one U.S. dollar. The average income in the occupied city is 186,000 rubles a year, about 2,740 U.S. dollars at the current official exchange rate. Government officials claimed they would look into the pricing situation. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro, with Russian forces conducting the largest number of strikes since retreating on November 8, 2022. There were 90 fire missions on free Ukraine, killing one and wounding five, with 27 artillery strikes in the city of Kherson alone targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. A 27-year-old man was killed in Yantarne on the west bank of the Dnipro River Delta. Ukrainian officials reported that the Trifonovskaya solar power station had been brought back online. The plant is operating at only 15% capacity due to Russian sabotage during their withdrawal and damage to 20% of the solar panels. Social media images showed the glow of a large fire in Russian-occupied Kolonchuk, where residents reported hearing at least one explosion. Ukrainian officials reported that in Radensk, Russian forces were building static defenses using shipping containers. In the Kachovka rayon, Russian occupiers have increased filtration, taking up to 20 people into custody for using the Ukrainian Dia app. The Dia app provides a digital passport to be used for identification. The detainments are part of attempts to implement forced passportification, negating education obtainment under Russian law, and making individuals eligible for mobilization and conscription. There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In Zaporizhia, Russia and Ukraine exchanged sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapole, to Orehiv, to Sherbaki. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported two vessels of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, neither capable of launching caliber cruise missiles. At Belbek Naval Airfield in occupied Crimea, Russian combat engineers have started constructing static defenses and surrounding the airport with dragon's teeth. Occupation officials in Crimea were forced to drop the speed limit to 60 kilometers per hour and restrict traffic to no more than 26 tons on the simferopol alushta yalta highway, which leads to the Crimea-Kherson administrative border. The restrictions were made due to increasing damage to the road and bridges from Russian military equipment. In Mykolaiv, punitive shelling of Ochakiv and Kutsurub continued, damaging the hospital in Ochakiv, which needed emergency repairs. Moving on to the Russian front, you remember how we reported yesterday that Russian officials announced that the Kerch Bridge was open to all car and bus traffic? 
again. Well, officials reported that the bridge over the Kerch Strait would be closed on January 14th to allow repair work to continue. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. We made it less than 24 hours before someone had to go and threaten nuclear war again. On Russia 1, Vladimir Solovyov called for tactical nuclear strikes on Finland, Germany, and the United Kingdom if they provide main battle tanks, or MBTs, to Ukraine. NATO and the European Union will create a group to protect critical infrastructure in Europe in response to the sabotage of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, speaking alongside NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, said, quote, This is a working group in which experts from NATO and the European Union will work together to identify key threats to our critical infrastructure and address the strategic vulnerabilities that we have. End quote. She added that the task force would present proposals to protect transportation, energy, digital, and space infrastructure. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said, quote, It is necessary to make critical infrastructure, technologies, and supply chains more resilient to potential threats and to take measures to reduce potential vulnerabilities. End quote. On January 9th, Ukrainian Colonel Yuri Yurchuk was killed in action in Solodar. Satellite photos show that, despite some fear-mongering in the analyst community, most of the military hardware near the Ukrainian-Belarus border has been there for months. Photos showed nine installations of S-300 and S-400 anti-aircraft launchers with supporting hardware near Zyabrovka Air Base, indicating that the Russian VKS is likely still using the field. German officials continue to send mixed signals about providing Leopard 2 MBTs to Ukraine. German Vice Chancellor Robert Habeck said that Germany, quote, should not block Poland's request regarding a transfer of tanks to Ukraine, end quote. German Defense Minister Christine Lambrecht said, quote, there are no requests from Poland or other nations for authorizing Leopard deliveries, end quote, to Ukraine. Some are reading the Berlin Political Theater as a silent nod that authorization will be given if asked, but that seems unlikely given the set condition that the United States would need to provide M1A1 Abrams MBTs first. Great Britain has indicated that they are prepared to send a company of Challenger MBTs to Ukraine. That's 14 tanks total. However, the Challenger presents, well, challenges for Ukraine. At 70 tons, it's even heavier than the M1A1 Abrams, and other NATO weapons don't use the 120mm ammunition the Challenger fires from its rifled main gun. At a briefing on Thursday, Patrick Ryder, spokesman for the Pentagon, said, quote, When it comes to tanks, air defense, or artillery, we continue to thoroughly discuss all this with our allies and partners. As you know, next week there will be a meeting of the contact group on Ukraine, and I expect that it will also be discussed there. End quote. The Darmstein Working Group will meet on January 20th, and there is significant speculation that there will be major announcements for added military aid to Ukraine. Adding pressure on the German government, Greek officials indicated they would wait for an order of 40 modern Martyr Infantry Fighting Vehicles, or IFVs, if German officials elect to send them to Ukraine instead. 
Vasil Bodnar, the ambassador of Ukraine to Turkey, vehemently denied a report in Western media that Ukraine had requested and Turkey was providing banned cluster munitions. Bodnar said, quote, Such statements are prepared specifically with the aim of harming Ukrainian-Turkish relations, as well as forming a negative international image of Ukraine and Turkey, end quote. Lithuania announced they would send another military aid package to Ukraine, including air defense systems. Government officials did not specify what equipment would be sent, with many countries becoming less transparent on the hardware being sent to support Ukraine. Forbes reported that Ukraine received 354,000 generators in 2022, enough to provide one gigawatt of electrical generation, which is pretty impressive. It is not enough power to go back to the future, though, which I'm told requires 1.21 gigawatts. Kremlin spokesperson Igor Konoshenkov declared that the Russian forces had already destroyed four Bradley IFVs in Ukraine during the morning update from Moscow. If you're wondering how that's possible, so is everyone else. Since there aren't any Bradley IFVs in Ukraine, and Ukrainian soldiers have yet to receive training in their operation. Does this mean that Ukraine has negative four Bradleys? A bit of a special assessment here. We've noted a significant decline in Russian artillery, Grad and Smirch rocket, and S-300 missile strikes in the last two to three weeks. This includes the Sumy and Dnipropetrovsk oblasts, where shelling has decreased from 75 to 90 percent. There has also been an overall decline in artillery fire on the Zaporizhia line of conflict and the Avdiivka axis west of Donetsk. While there was a large number of strikes in Kherson since November 8th, it was only a small increase from the previous record, and it does not offset the sharp decline outside of Solidar Bakhmut. In our assessment, this is supportive of continued reports by Russian troops of shortages of artillery shells, mortars, and rockets. Whether this is a temporary logistical issue or indicative of a larger long-term problem can't be clarified using the available information. Speaking of long-term problems, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Mobix from Novosibirsk made a video appealing to be sent home from the special military operation. The occupiers complained they had spent months in trenches with no orders while getting repeatedly shelled and suffering casualties. They should probably be careful with what they say. In Ufa, Russian Corporal Marcel Kandarov decided he didn't want to fight in Ukraine and did not report for duty in May 2022. Officials tracked him down in September, and a court sentenced him to five years in a penal colony. A commission of the Ministry of Defense of the Russian Federation headed by the commander-in-chief of the ground forces, Oleg Solyukov, visited training facilities in Belarus to inspect Russian troops. Many a picture report was made of the glorious military operation, and we all know that picture reports are super-duper accurate. The Russian Ministry of Defense has devised a solution for the lack of cold-weather equipment for its troops in Ukraine. The ministry has declared that Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson are, quote, hot climate areas, and troops will be issued warm-weather gear for future deployments. I'm sure that's a terrific idea and won't cause any problems at all. 
PMC Wagner is contracting civilian companies to ship dead mercenaries back to Russia in refrigerated trucks. The bodies are stacked in body bags on top of each other, and the only reason our organization knows this is a really bad way to store and move corpses is from our COVID coverage in 2020 and 2021. But all is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is very minor graphic detail in today's report, and if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Russian soldiers were accused of killing two civilians in Korobka in occupied Kherson. One was executed for refusing to give his car to Russian troops. In an unrelated incident, another man was tortured to death because a family member is in the Ukrainian armed forces. In geopolitical news, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu stated that his nation would not change its stance on providing aid to Ukraine, quote, so as not to spoil the relationship with Russia, end quote. A poll from the United States indicated that a majority of Republicans, 52 percent, opposed any further financial or military aid to Ukraine. Currently, there is little the United States Congress can do to deter aid through September 30, 2023. In economic news, Lada sales plummeted 46 percent in 2022, and new car sales dropped 50 percent in Russia. Several factors, including inflation, recession, and a lack of inventory, caused the decline. We had previously reported that the wealthy of Russia were purchasing two cars at a time to have a second vehicle available for parts if the primary car broke down or got into an accident. Russian commercial aircraft sales sunk to a 12-year low, with the Russian Federation delivering 12 aircraft capable of carrying 10 or more tons in 2022. In a widely circulated video earlier in the week, Russian President Vladimir Putin was visibly angry because there was not a single order placed for commercial aircraft in 2023. Sanctions and a lack of Western parts have caused the collapse of the Russian civilian aviation industry. The ruble continued to improve, reaching an exchange rate of 67 for one U.S. dollar in very light trading. Western oil prices were flat, with WTI crude holding at $78 a barrel and Brent trading at $84. Russian Ural's crude increased to $56 a barrel. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market declined slightly, falling to $2.45 a gallon or $0.65 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures continue to decline, dropping to €67 per megawatt hour for February 2023 delivery and €68 for March. Chicago SRW wheat futures were trading at $7.46 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates.
Thank you for listening.